Good? We ready? All right, let's jump in. Habakkuk. All right, so we're in our fourth week of Habakkuk. Clicker. And so in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a prophet. And so typically a prophet is somebody who is a messenger between God and the people. And so in the Old Testament, what you have is you don't have the grace and forgiveness that Christ offers. And so there's this huge barrier of sin that separates man from God. And so God establishes this role of prophet and says, what I need these prophets to be is messengers who can deliver my message to my people. And so typically what we see with prophets is it's God gives a message to them and then they go speak to the nation. Habakkuk's an interesting book though. Because in this book we don't see Habakkuk talking to Israel. We see Habakkuk talking to God. And so really what we're privy to in this book is a conversation between Habakkuk the prophet and God the Father. And what's interesting about this book is to me it's one of the most beautiful books in that what it talks to is the complicated nature that comes from following God. And so really in the book of Habakkuk what we get is is we get hit with this concept of faith. How do we deal with those moments in life where when God's plan just doesn't make sense to you and me? And I always say this, if you've been on the journey with God for a long period of time or any decent amount of time, you've hit a moment where you're looking up at heaven going, Father, what is going on? God, God, what is this? Do you not see what is happening? Do you not see the pain I'm in? Do you not see the struggle that I'm enduring? Do you not see how hard I'm trying to walk with you? God, why is this happening? And basically, that's the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is crying out to God going, Father, do you not see what's happening to your people here in Judah? Help us. Do something. And so, let me give you a few things before we jump into where we've been. So I'll catch everybody up. In Habakkuk, we've talked about two verses as being kind of the key to the series. These are two verses that kind of set a framework that help you understand what's happening in this book. The first is found in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. There it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's point? Children, you don't always understand what I do. And then the big thing for us to understand in this, you're talking about God Almighty. He is ever-present, ever-powerful, and all-knowing. He literally, in one moment in time, hears every thought of every person ever, and that's not a big deal for him. He is the one that says, let there be light, and the sun appears. Okay, this is the God of everything. Like you and I, we don't even understand this. To God, there is no such thing as time. He created it. So it's not simply when we talk about God that God knows what tomorrow's going to be. He's already in tomorrow. He's already present there because time is simply something He created. And so the reason this is important for you and I to understand is it's much like if you have a toddler, there are life decisions you just simply cannot explain to them. As much as you may want to, as much as you may try, there are just things in life that their brains cannot comprehend and so they have to have faith in their parents. It's a similar message that God sends to us. It's not that I won't give you evidence. It's not that there isn't a game plan. 
It's just, child, sometimes you don't understand what I'm doing. I need you to have faith in that. The second verse we've come back to is in Mark 2.17. Jesus is talking to the people who are listening to Him preach, and He says this, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so what, what do these two verses interact, and why do they set the framework for this series? It's because basically, as Christians, what you and I need to realize is, we are not God, and we need Him. I am not him. I can't think like he is. I can't act like his. he can. I can't behave like he can. And frankly, besides him being better than me, I desperately need him in life. And so these two verses kind of give you, one, the framework for everyone who ever comes to Christ acknowledges these two things. I'm not God, and I need a God. And then the second thing is these are the two things you want to keep perspective on as you mature in your relationship with the Lord. If at any point you don't trust that His ways are better than yours, then you will break that relationship of Him being the Lord and you being the servant. And if at any point you ever look at yourself in the mirror and go, I don't need a Savior, then you will immediately find that the whole way God talks and looks at the world starts to break. And so these two things we have to keep solid in our minds as we go throughout any conversation with God. His ways are not mine, they're better. And I need them. I desperately need them. Now, as we've been going through the book of Habakkuk, we've already covered chapter 1. And I want to kind of break through some of the things that we covered as main points. The first thing we learned from Habakkuk is, one, be real with God. In the beginning of the book, he is crying out to God. He is angry and upset. God, where are you? How can you let this happen? Why aren't you doing something? Now, some people, when they read this, they go, I mean, do you really want to yell at God? Is that a smart move? And there's some legitimacy to that question. Because what we do know about our Father is He's unbelievably powerful and He's unbelievably just, and He doesn't make mistakes. So if we're angry at Him and screaming that He's messed up, we're probably wrong. But God would rather you say that to Him than not. Because if you have a real, intimate relationship with God, you bear your heart to Him. If you have a real, intimate relationship with God, you talk to Him about what you're feeling, about what's going on in your life, what you're going through. If there is ever a moment where you are hiding from God what is filling your heart, something's not right with your relationship with Him. And let's be real, we know this in our own personal relationships. I am never scared when a couple tells me they fight. I'm actually more scared when a couple tells me we never fight. Because what I'm going is, that either means you spend so little time with each other, you're not making each other upset. Or when you're getting upset, you have not learned to share those feelings and to solve those problems. I told you one of my favorite pastors, he always asks the couple before they get married, is this the human being that you want to argue with for the rest of your life? If the answer is yes, then that's the right person. If the answer is no, then get away. And it's not that marriage is terrible. It's not that it's hard. It's just we're human beings. Put two sinners in life together forever, talking about the most difficult conversations, and guess what happens? Occasionally there's fights. Not me and Nicole. We never fight, right? Yeah. So the same thing should happen with God. And in fact, even more so, because remember, His ways aren't yours. He's truly going to do things you can't comprehend. So we know with Habakkuk, the important thing first is to be real with God. The second is, no, he listens. 
So besides the fact that I'm real with him, I have complete and utter confidence that my God actually listens to what I say. That he is actually present, not afar. He is near and dear and right there in it with me. It's an important thing for us to know that our God is present. And what's funny is if you've read the Bible your whole life, you sometimes take that for granted. Because you're just used to reading Bible stories where people talk and then God speaks. But the reality is, for some of us, you don't really expect it. There are some of you who've never actually had that kind of interaction with God. And for a lot of you, the reason is, you've never given time to it. How many, when you pray, actually give a significant amount of time in your prayers where you're not talking, you're listening? If you don't have significant amounts of your prayer life that are you with your mouth closed, something's wrong. Because that's like saying you're having a conversation with somebody, but you never let them talk. Right? Kind of reminds me when I was a kid and my dad was like, we need to talk. That did not mean that it was my turn to speak. It meant he was going to talk, I was going to listen. We don't want that kind of relationship with the Lord, though. We want that kind of relationship with, with Him. We do share with Him what's going on, but we also realize, God, I really need to hear more from you than I, you need to hear from me. So I'm real with Him, I know He listens, but then I also understand He acts in His own way. Just because He's going to act, just because He has an answer, again, doesn't mean I understand it. So in the book of Habakkuk, as we walk through these steps, remember what we've talked about. Habakkuk goes to God. He says, Are you paying attention, Father? Look at the land of Judah. There is injustice. There are people turning their backs on you. There's idolatry. There is brokenness. There is poverty. There is anything and everything you could imagine negatively happening here. Do something, God. Where are you? And God goes, I'm right here. And he goes, and i got a plan. I'm going to answer Habakkuk. I'm solving this as we speak. And at that point, Habakkuk's like, great. God goes, let me tell you how I'm going to do it. I'm going to raise up these people called the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. And they're going to conquer your nation. They're going to wipe your nation out. They're going to put you into captivity. And through that, your guys' hearts will be broken. You will humble yourselves. You will turn back to me. And through that, I will restore you. And Habakkuk goes, I don't like that. I was kind of hoping your answer was going to be like, you're going to make all this bad stuff go away nicely. I don't really understand how raising up an army to conquer us solves the current problem I'm talking about. The analogy I've been using is like, imagine as Americans today, us praying and going, God, America's broke. And it kind of is right now. We're angry, we're upset, we're financially in trouble, we hate each other, we have racial issues, we have financial issues, we have political issues, and God goes, I got it. The North Koreans are coming. I'm going to use them to solve all your problems. He'd be like, North Koreans? How's that work, God? And God goes, just trust me. It's going to work. It's almost the exact same thing Habakkuk's hearing. So I'm real with God. I know He listens, but I also understand He's not answering in the way that I would. He's answering in His own way. And why do we struggle with that? As we talked about, we're sinners and He is a just God. So you and I struggle because ultimately you are talking to a perfect being and you live in imperfection. And so remember, we talked about Habakkuk, right? He wants justice on his enemies, but does he really want complete justice for himself? 
Think about that. You often probably ask God to pay the just dues to your enemies who harm you. But how often do you pray to God and go, God, punish me for who I am? Amen. God, I really want you to come down hard on me because I'm a messed up person. We don't do that, right? When it's us, we're like, God, please, grace, forgiveness, mercy. When it's the guy who cut you off in traffic, God, teach that person a lesson. Where's a cop when you need one, right? That's how we act. Because we struggle to understand we are sinners and He is just. And then the last thing we talked about last week is we said basically what God asks is keep the faith. I don't know that you're going to understand everything He asks you to do. And in fact, the hard part as Christians is often He's not going to tell you the whole plan. He will give you just enough evidence that you know He's there, that He has a plan, and you know what He wants you to do. That's it. You then have to have the faith that if you follow through on those things, He will be just. That's the hard part. It's the hard part. I always think about it like getting in the backseat of the car with mom and dad. I don't know where we're going, but I trust them driving. So I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to ask a lot of questions, and I'm going to trust they're taking me the right direction. That's ultimately what God is asking us to do. Now today, we're going to look at an important thing about God's response. So in Habakkuk chapter 2, what happens is, God, Habakkuk goes, problems God, fix it. God goes, going to fix it, going to fix it with the Chaldeans. Habakkuk goes, hear you, have faith in you, not a big fan of the plan. And in Habakkuk chapter 2, God responds. So let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and we'll go from there. And we'll kind of skim it a little bit because there's a lot of context here. So in verse 2 it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And so what's he saying there? He's saying, Habakkuk, be patient. I know you don't see it in your time, but I am moving. I am working, and the vision I have told you is going to happen. Don't think just because you can't see it that it's not moving, it's not changing. Things are progressing as we speak. Behold, his soul, he's now talking about the Chaldeans, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So what's he saying? He's showing here that I've told you what I'm going to do for you guys. Your questions came back, but that seems like what you're going to allow to happen, God, is for these Chaldeans to prosper. So I get it. You're going to, you're going to do stuff to us. Hopefully it brings us back to you. But what about the Babylonians, the Chaldeans? They're terrible people. And you're just going to let them conquer? You're just going to let them get richer? You're just going to let them get more powerful? Like, how's that work? And here God's going, no, no, don't worry about that too. I got theirs coming too. Amen. And so what you'll see after this is if you just kind of skim, you see this word woe keep coming up. Woe to the Chaldeans in verse uh, 6, right? Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. 
Uh, Then verse 9, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Verse 12, Woe to him who builds a town with blood. Um, Verse 15, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink to pour out with wrath. Um, If you just keep going throughout this chapter, you see God keeps saying, Woe. Woe to the Chaldeans. And so here's, here's the huge concept that you have to understand here. And this is it's kind of really hard for us as human beings to understand. There's a huge, huge difference to God between discipline and wrath. Huge difference between discipline and wrath. The hard part is, is it's not easy to see with your eyes. Because the difference between discipline and wrath is often, often, the motive and the purpose of the actions. Alright? So let's break that down a little bit. Discipline comes from where? Discipline comes from God's love. So when you and I experience discipline in our lives, it is not because God hates us. It's because He loves us. Like, I'll just be real with you here. My children do not like to be spanked. But I spank them regularly. Probably, I mean, as much as I don't like to admit it, as good as they sometimes act at church, probably at least once a week someone's getting tapped on the rear end. Because they're just, I mean, as wonderful as they are, they're little sinners. They just are. I mean, they're beautiful and they bring so much joy and so much happiness to me. But also, they have their own little spirits that they want to run and they want to lead themselves and they want to do their own things. But here's what I never understood until really I was a parent. I do that because I love them. And I always thought my dad was lying when he said, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I would be like, yeah, easy to say from your perspective, dude. But as a parent, I get it. I hate spanking my kids. I hate it. I hate disciplining my kids. Especially like in, you're at work all day, right? You come home, you only have two hours with them. You want it to be like this fun, joyful moment, but you get home and they're in this mood and you're like, really? So this is how we're spending tonight, right? So we're going to spend tonight at war because you don't want to listen. And as a parent, it's devastating because you're like, this, this is our time, man. I had plans for fun today. That's when you got to go, but I do this because I love you. And I'll be real with you. I like your kids. I love my kids more. That's why I've never spanked your kids, but I've spanked mine. I love my kids more than yours. I know it's the wrong thing to say as a pastor, but it's just a reality. Those two little guys, I have a vision for who I want them to be. I have a vision about what I think God's going to do in their lives. Almost every night after I tuck them in, I think about, did I help them today take steps to be the men I want them to be one day? I'll be real with you. Sometimes I'm like, "Ah, I was too short-sighted today. I got home and I was tired. I put on Netflix and let them watch TV shows. Did I do anything today to stir up the love of God in them? Did I do anything today to grow them a little bit more? Eh, Not as much as I should have. I think about that though. And I have a vision for who I want them to be. And so why do I discipline? Because when I see them doing things that don't align with that, I go, I got to correct that. I got to correct that. And similarly, God does the same thing with you and me. And so the hard part is this. Right? Especially like we get this in our culture today. 
There was a time in America where spanking was just common practice. Nowadays, it's not. And in fact, nowadays, certain people would say, Luke needs to be reported to CPS because he spanks his kids. And I'll be real with you. There are some people in my life, if I hit them, it would not be for discipline. And so the hard part is, is right, it's the motive and intention that so often defines whether this is love or wrath. And that's what God's trying to get through to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I get it. You hear me say your nation's going to get taken over and you go, that sounds painful, God. And he goes, it is. But it's because I'm trying to break your hearts so that you'll realize you can't trust yourself, so you'll trust me. And in doing that, you will find everything you've ever hungered for. Now as he starts to talk about to the Chaldeans, he goes, but for them, what they will experience from me will not be discipline. They will experience wrath. And so it's a very fine line between how the actions look. The key, though, is the motive. And throughout Scripture, God talks to us about discipline. Flip with me to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul talks about this concept. Starting in verse 3, he says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What's he saying? Hey guys, you're following Jesus. Have you ever go, life's hard? Of course it is. You're Christians. The best Christian ever was Jesus. Do you think he had a peaceful life? Have you paid attention to the guy you're following and what happened to him? Why are you confused that there's going to sometimes be heartache for you? You intentionally chose to follow a man who experienced great heartache in his own life. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? For my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What's Paul's point? Guys, don't be upset when God disciplines you. Be happy. Because that means you're his kid. That means you're his child. And in fact, if you're never disciplined by God, your heart should sorrow in that. Because it means you're not his. And we get that, right? That's why when you see the terrible kid at Target, you don't say anything to him. But yours, you give them that look or you grab their neck or you do whatever you do that they know like, hey, we're at the brink here, right? Because your own child you love and you discipline because you're shaping them. And so Paul goes, same thing for us as children of God. God will discipline you because he's shaping you. He's building you for something. God, more so than even human parents, has a vision for you. A purpose and a role that only you could fulfill. And it's not one he's had for a couple years. He's had it since the beginning of eternity. And so he looks at you and goes, what do I need to do to shape you to fill that role? What do I need to do to put you in a position to enjoy life to an abundance, not for today, but for eternity? And that's why he does these things. 
And throughout Scripture, he talks to this. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. God goes so far as to say, like, if you don't discipline your kids, I actually will contest you hate them. I will contest you hate them if you don't discipline them. Because let's be real. The point of love is, love is not this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's joyfully sacrificing for the benefit of another. That's what love is. Love is a joyful sacrifice for the benefit of someone else. And so what God's saying is, do the hard work to show them you care. And it's funny, my my parents, my dad was tough, man. My dad was tough. My dad had a look like, I knew in public, like there was a, there was a little eyebrow cock thing he did that like, uh-oh. I already knew, like, there, I could tell from the looks I was getting like where we were. Like, okay, I've already messed up enough, I'm getting a talk in the car. Or like, no, messed up enough, I'm getting spanked. And then there was a the look like, he may just blow this whole thing up and we may just handle this right here, right now. Like, my dad was not the guy that'd be like, oh, we're at the store, so we can't do anything. Amen. They'd be like, we could be in the middle of dinner, son. We will leave dinner Amen. and handle this. And it's funny, as a kid, I thought, man, he's so hard. As an adult, I thank him so much. He taught me discipline. He taught me respect. And in many ways, he shaped my soul to be ready for the relationship that I have with God. Because the more I know about God, the more I realize... My God, yes, He can be that warm, compassionate God that when everything has failed, I can go to Him and I can cry. But He's also the God who will look at me and go, Son, get right. You're not going the right way. You need to shape up. You're leading yourself on a path to destruction. And I love that He does that. Because I need that. I need that. And my Father built in me as a young boy the understanding of that. And as an adult, I love that I expect that from my God hates his son who does not discipline him. You have to show him that. Look at Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. The point, don't think for a second that when God brings hard things your way that he still doesn't love you or delight in you. He can be bringing hard things your way and in that moment actually be delighting in you the most. And often that's how it works, right? You're doing the hardest thing, but you're doing it because you love Him so much. That's God's perspective. We have to see that and know that. And that's what God's trying to get Habakkuk to understand. Son, I get it. The Chaldeans, what they're going to do to you is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. There will be tears. There will be sadness. There will be heartache. But trust me, I do this because I love you. I do this because I love this nation. I do this because if I don't, there is only one pathway for you, and that's a complete and utter destruction. I do this so one day this nation will return to me, and they will have joy in their hearts. They will know the Messiah, and they will experience all the blessings I've ever desired for them. But to get them there, I have to do this. And that ultimately is where hope comes from. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when this happens, we don't cry. I'm not saying when this happens, we're not sad. I'm not saying when this happens, we don't have anger. 
But what I'm saying is in the midst of it, this is our hope. The hope is, is God is doing this for a reason. He's doing this for a purpose. And I trust in that. Now here's the part where you don't want to be. There's God's discipline and there's God's wrath. And so in this chapter that we just read, what you're seeing is, God goes for the Chaldeans, they will experience wrath. With them, when I come, it will not be because I love them. When I come, it will not be so that I can break their hearts so that one day they'll fall back to me. When I come for them, it will be to pay them for what they've done. Amen. And that's where I go, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> to choose between the two, I want the discipline and, and painful action that comes with the purpose of shaping me and preparing me for joy. I do not want the action that comes to go, we will make this right. We will make this right. I do not want to be standing when God comes in wrath. And so, what he's going to finish here to Habakkuk is, brother, I know what the Chaldeans are better than you do. Trust me, there's not a thing they do that won't go unpaid. You may not see it all, but you trust that I'll take care of this. I will make this right. And so that's an important thing for you and I to understand. There's a discipline that is about love and there is a wrath that is about anger. On the outside, hard to sometimes see the difference. And that is why it's so important that you have a real relationship with God. Because if you don't have that intimacy... If you don't have that ability to converse and to talk with Him, and you just look at the actions, you may never know what you see. It's, it's one of the most complicated things about being a Christian. is It's not really about action. Don't get me wrong. There's a way that God expects you to behave. But the reality is, you and I, we can't really see what's happening. It's just like God's example to us when He's in the temple. And Jesus sees people giving offerings. There's a rich man who comes up, gives all this money, and then there's this poor little old lady who comes and drops one coin in the basket. And God goes, from a perspective of humanity, most people would never be able to tell what was what. Some of us might even think, hey, the rich guy gave more. And God goes, no, 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 you don't understand. That guy's rich. He gave that so everybody would applaud him. He gave that so all you would look at him and go, look at how great he is. Look how amazing he is. Kind of reminds me of like our celebrity athletes. Have you noticed for a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, charity work only counts if there's a camera. Right? Oh, hey, I'm going to go do something great. Make sure there's a news crew that can capture this, please. And for that you go, there may be some positive intention, but a huge secondary thing for them was reputational increase. I want to do this so people look at me and go, what a great guy. God goes, that guy's just doing that. He gets no honor from God. The only honor he'll get is what he's getting from people right now. But that little old lady that no one noticed, her, she just gave everything she has. She gave everything she has. That means a lot to God. And that's the hard part. That's why you and I stink at judging and never should really do it. We can say certain actions are biblical. We can say certain actions are unbiblical. But what you and I are not good at doing is knowing whose heart's what. Amen. 
We can't see that. And so the same thing comes to play when it's that relationship with God and discipline and wrath. The only way you know the difference is when you know Him. And in Him and in that relationship, you know what He's trying to do. See, Habakkuk, the beautiful thing he does have is a relationship with God. And so, though he is about to watch his nation go through pain, he will have the confidence and the hope throughout it all that this is ultimately for good. Why? God told him. God spoke to him. God revealed to him what he has in his heart. And that, brothers and sisters, is what you and I need. See, many of us, we get this completely and utterly wrong. For many of us, you care about what the end result is, not the relationship. And I'll be real, pastors are just as bad at this as everybody else. I mean, I, you go to a Christian bookstore, right? And it's like, all the books are about you. Right? How, how to have godly finances. How to have godly fitness. How to have godly marriage. How to raise your kids godly. How the seven steps to do that. Right? It's all about you making your life better. And ultimately, most of us are turning to God initially because we want to fix something in our lives. God's not here to fix your life. He is life. What he's hoping is that you submit yourself to him and go, Father, I need a Savior. I will give you anything and everything I have. Now along that journey, he'll do some changing. Along that journey, he'll rebuild you from the top down. But the point is, you go to him for him. Not for what he can give you. You go to Him because you see in Him a being of such love, power, and awesomeness that you don't want to be around anybody else. If He can give you stuff along the way, that's just nice. But I want to be where you're at. That's why in the 23rd Psalm, David talks about the reality of life. And he says, sometimes we're in the green pastures, God, and sometimes we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Either way, I don't care. As long as I'm with you. Amen. As long as I walk by you. Do you have that relationship with God? Do you really have the ability where you could say in your relationship with Him, I don't really care if blessings pour all over me. I don't really care if life is painful and hard. As long as I know I stand next to Him. If you don't have that perspective, this journey will be very confusing for you. Because what you'll often look at is all of your good behaviors and go, why hasn't this earned me anything? And God will go, earn you, me you. What it earns you is me. That's what it got you. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, that's not enough. Oh, money. Oh, health. I want prosperity. I want reputation. I want fame. Oh, popular. If you think any of those things are more than him, you don't get it. You don't get it. And so, well, this book will not give us answers. But it simply tells us this. You have a God who loves you and cares about you. He sees everything that's happening in your life, and he ultimately has a plan to get you to success. Throughout that plan, sometimes there will be joy, and sometimes there will be pain. 
But know that if you're His child, that pain is discipline. It is done in love to shape you, to build you, and to move you forward. And for your enemies, know that wrath will come. That's all that He gives Habakkuk. He's not going to sit and explain everything that's going to happen to him. But He's going to give him enough evidence, enough direction, and enough insight that in the midst of the darkness that is to come, Habakkuk will always have a light. He will always have hope. I'm going to leave you with, with one last thing to look at. In Luke chapter 15, there is a beautiful example of what discipline does versus wrath. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story that most of you have probably heard of or read at some point. It's a story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read the whole story, but let me just sum it up and break it down for you. In this story, there's a rich man who has two kids. One is happy to be with him, to serve him, to work for him, and to be part of his family. There is another who wants wealth. He looks at his dad's estate and goes, Dad, I know you got money. Dad, I don't really want to wait till you die to have it. I want it now. I want those riches. I want to go live this world. I want to enjoy everything that's out there. And the father goes, okay. I will give you inheritance. That kid goes and he lives life. He goes to squeeze out every last drop of enjoyment that the world can give. He parties hard, he lives hard, he blows through his cash, and before he knows it, he's broke. And when we talk about living hard, like you should understand, this inheritance wasn't like a few thousand dollars. Like this was enough money that he should have been a wealthy man for probably the rest of his life. Alright, so he goes through and he just burns through it. He soon finds himself in a foreign land. He can barely feed himself. In fact, he's so hungry that the only job he can find is to feed pigs. And he wishes he could eat the pig's food. And finally, there's this moment that hits him where he goes, my dad treats his employees better than this. Man, I I could never deserve to be his son again. But man, I'll be his employee. So he starts to head back home. And he's preparing this speech the whole way of like, Father, I've messed up. I turned my back on you. Just let me be an employee. Just let me work for you. Just please just, just have enough forgiveness to let me work for you. And do you remember that as a kid? Do you remember like when you knew Dad was coming home and you were preparing the speech you were going to give? To like, how am I going to get myself out of trouble, right? So Dad, here's why I did this. Here are my intentions. I... I am so sorry right now. If you knew how sorry I was, you wouldn't even think you need to punish me. Right? Preparing that speech. And here he is just on this journey, broke, hungry, sad, preparing, begging his father to be an employee. And as soon as his father sees him down the road, what does he do? His father runs to him, greets him, throws his arms around him, goes back to his house and says, throw a party for my son because he is back. There are many points throughout that journey where that child experienced pain, experienced hurt, experienced darkness. But all of it was done to bring him to the moment where he'd look at where he was in life and go, why am I here? 
I should be back with my father. And when he turns back, he doesn't experience a father who goes, I told you. I told you so. Now let's be real. Do you really understand what that child asked of that father? He didn't want to be around his dad anymore. He just wanted his dad's stuff. Basically, dad, like, if you just die, life would be better. I kind of wish you'd just croak. Because if you weren't here and I had that money, everything I want would be here. Life would be great. I mean, can you imagine saying that to your own father? I mean, Dad, if you just hurry up and die so I could take your stuff, I'd really like that. Basically what he said. And think, even once he got the wealth, did he stay around the family? No, he bails. He has just no intention of ever going back. It would have been so easy for that father to tell him get lost. In fact, some of us are probably like, yeah, that's what he should have done. You know? That's what he deserved. It is what he deserved. But God doesn't always give us what we deserve. Sometimes he gives us more. <coughs> that story of the prodigal son is what God was trying to do with Habakkuk and the, Judy, and the Israelites in Judah. He knew dark days were coming, but he wanted those dark days to serve to a point where they'd look up one day and go, why am I in the slop with the pigs? I had to go back to my father. For some of you, you may be in darkness right now. Stop praying for the darkness to end. Pray to learn what he's teaching you in the midst of it. Pray that in the midst of that darkness, you understand that as a child of God, He's not exhibiting wrath on you. He's exhibiting discipline. Which means He is doing this to shape you, to teach you, to move you forward. So if in the midst of that, all you're asking for is for it to end, it won't end. Because you're not learning what He's trying to teach. The sooner you stop praying for it to end, and the more you focus on learning the Father's lesson, I guarantee you the faster the peace will come. That's the joy you have as a child. I know my Father brings no darkness my way other than to teach me and to show me His love. That's what Habakkuk learns, and that's what I hope you learn. Because whether it's dark days or light days now, I guarantee you there will be a moment in our future where we, like Habakkuk, will scream up to heaven going, Father, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And in that, we need to remember who He is. I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads and just go to the Lord in prayer. For some of you, you need to find that relationship with God. You've been doing the church activities but you haven't heard his voice as children we need to get right with father as children we need to have faith that he is listening and he is speaking take a few moments where you're at to just go to the Lord in prayer